Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Hello and welcome, and thank you so much for tuning in again today. We are here to to create a safe place for finding God's love after abortion. We're here to prevent abortion and to bring healing to those it hurts. And I'm very excited to be able to present a conversation with Ann McElhenney today. If you are not familiar with the Gosnell case, which, Ann, I'm still shocked that people out there, there are people out there who don't know about that case. Uh, you should be. You should be familiar with Ann and her husband, Phelan's work. They're journalists and, and authors of the New York Times bestselling book, Gosnell. Ann is also a speaker, director, and producer and um, she she produced the Gosnell movie and uh, many other projects uh, relating to truth-telling about some of the uh, contentious issues of our time, which are not spoken about truthfully. And welcome mm-hmm. to Cradle My Heart Radio. It's great. It's great to be talking to you again, Kim. I, I, it's, been, it's been a while. Um, yes. Thank you so much. And I think just what you've just said, it's actually, you know... Um, I'm talking to you around the same time as this amazing news is broken about the the, the Supreme Court justice um, leak of the decision about Roe v. Wade. And I think the thing that strikes me a lot about all of this is what is not said, what is not reported on. Um, you know, people talk a lot about a national, that there's a national conversation about abortion. There's, there's a national conversation about a lot of things, but the one thing that's not talked about in any of these national conversations is actually abortion. You, you can skirt everything and talk about anything you like and women's choice and all this business. But, you know, why why won't people actually talk about abortion? And I think there's a very, very good reason why they don't want to do that. Mm. Why why doesn't everyone know the name Kayamana Mongar? Go, yeah, Gos- I know. Gos- I mean, everyone, everyone knows. <laughs> it's amazing. Everyone knows who Michael Brown is, right? Right. And Karnamaya Karn- Mongar was a, a Bhutanese refugee who had spent 20 years in a refugee camp in Nepal, had, had thanks be to God, you know, managed, managed through all kinds of difficulties to get to America, and four months later was dead because of a botched abortion at a, at a clinic in West Philadelphia run by one Kermit Gosnell, who is now in prison serving three life sentences for delivering babies alive and cutting their necks with scissors. But Karnamaya Monger, you know, and I was just writing and thinking about her again recently. One of the things that happened, so she, you know, she came to America. She had a, she had a family. She found herself pregnant. She panicked. She was worried. She had only arrived in America very recently. She went, tried to get an abortion. She went to a number of clinics. They sent her away. 
but she went to one clinic in Washington, D.C., and they gave her a piece of paper, and they pushed this piece of paper across the desk, and it was the address of Kermit Gosnell's clinic in Philadelphia, where, of course, he would he would take women at any stage of pregnancy, right up to nine months. Um, and the poor woman arrived there. She arrived in this place. Now, this woman couldn't speak English. She had very few words of English. And as, as you know, as some of your listeners know, and unfortunately not enough people know, you know, this clinic was disgusting, filthy. There were cats walking through it. Um, people who worked there, the, the nurses who worked there, nurses, I say in inverted commas, none of them were qualified. And so Mrs. Monger, who had seen, who'd seen everything, you know, she suddenly finds herself in this place being medicated and over-medicated by what, what was known in the court case eventually as the Delaware girls, these two women, uneducated women, who were dosing out the anesthesia, um, Linda Williams and Sherry West. I mean, extraordinary. And, and the day went on and the day went on and Kermit Gosnell wasn't there. He, he didn't even turn up. And these women were, were filling this woman with... Sorry. Can you hear me? Yes. Can mm-hmm. you hear me? Yes, we got you. You can hear me. Mm-hmm. And these women were filling this were filling this Carnamaya monger. They were filling her up with these drugs all over all through the day. And at one point, she kind of becomes conscious, Mrs. Monger, and she she starts to get really like upset and starts to try to get up. And the two women, Sherry West and Linda Williams, phone Kermit Gosnell, who says, "Med her up." That was the phrase. Med her up, basically fill her up with, you know, with um, with anesthesia so that she would be knocked out. And they did that. And it always strikes me that when she put what they call put up a fuss, well, that was the expression they used, that she put up a fuss. I think what happened was she realized, oh, my God, I'm going to die here. She looked around this house of horrors, as it became known, saw the cat, saw the squalor, saw the two women who she, you know, wouldn't have needed to have much English to look at them and realize these people have no idea what they're doing. And she thought, oh my God, I'm going to die here. And tried to escape. And instead of being able to do that, she was medicated to death. And yes, you're exactly right. And no one knows her name. But we all know who Michael Brown is. So there's certain names in America that get remembered. And then there are these victims, completely innocent victims like Carnamaya Munger who no one wants to talk about because it makes you talk about abortion. Right. I mean, abortion was supposed to fulfill her American dream. She could put this pregnancy behind her and just move on. And yet, if all the way to Washington, D.C., they knew about this doctor in Pennsylvania to make that referral, this idea that, well, he's an outlier, as the abortion industry tried to defend that case. Oh, no one knew that he was, well, I mean, the authorities were called in because he was also running a pill mill. And the honest people who were investigating that took pictures of the fetal remains everywhere in freezers and on shelves and I mean in kitty litter in kitty empty oh. kitty litter containers yeah and you the can dignity of it if no one if you haven't read that grand jury report I urge you to but I warn you that there are pictures of deceased babies in the grand yes. jury report and yes. and when you and and Phelan, sort of, okay, there's going to be a trial about this case. Let's go to the trial, because surely this is going to be sensational. And then there's no one yeah. there reporting upon it. Yeah. 
I mean, because it's, it's he, amazing. he was charged with the felony murder of four babies, I think, or eight that they had proof. I think, of. Yes, I think it, I, I think originally I think originally it was seven, and then it was it was broken down to you know they they dismissed some of them and had eventually he went to prison for for the murder of three of them. But you know, as you say, it's like surely this is an extraordinary sensational trial. You would expect the place to be packed with journalists, and instead of that, it was like the Marie Celeste. You know, and, and, you know, this is exactly the kind of story that journalists are supposed to want to cover. It had every, it has everything. It has the blood and gore. If, you know, if it, if it right. leads, it leads. It has all of that. But it also has very serious public health implications. Yes. Because, you know, some of the information that became available and was known at the time was that for 17 years, Kermit Gosnell had operated this clinic, this hellhole, this horror house, and... No one from the Department of Health inspected. And during that 17 years, during that same 17 years, two women died. Karnamaya Monger, the Sudanese refugee, died. But Samika Shaw, a young African-American yes. mother, died as well. And nobody bothered. No one bothered. And I, think, I love to say that. I think it's incredibly important to emphasize that. Nobody bothered from the Department of Health in Harrisburg to go and see what was happening. No one bothered to get off their nice, cushy chair in their nice, cushy office with their lovely government salary to go and investigate the deaths of these two women. Um, and by the way, these two women who we are constantly being told are exactly the face of the people that we're meant to care the most about, the, a minor, you know, minority and, you know, a refugee. And, and yet nobody cares. In fact, even worse than that, Karnamaya Monger's death haven't even gotten a police report. There, had, there wasn't even a police report about it, which was what really shook up Detective Jim Wood, who is the detective, the hero detective, who put this guy behind bars and stopped his um, his, his crime spree eventually, you know? Mm. But, yes. Well, I, I just have to warn, because if there are parents who have had their children listening thus far, I am going to say something that's a little bit graphic. That's uh, quite graphic, actually. And so if you're concerned about young ears, now would be the time to... Um, to rejoin us on the podcast at some point in the future. Yes, um, yes. Because what he was doing, I mean, there are only so many ways that you can complete a late-term abortion. And what he, there's, there's dismemberment, and then there's uh, bringing about a fatal heart attack with an injection of digoxin to stop the baby's yes. heart, and then you de- deliver a stillborn. But what he yes. was doing was pretending to use the digoxin, delivering full-term yeah. babies, and as you said, snipping their, their spinal cords uh, yeah. to, to bring about the death of a live-born baby. And, you and, know, what's even, and what's even worse, and to even make that even worse, bizarrely, can I just yes, say, to yes. make it even worse, one of the doctors who gave evidence, um, and I'm, his name is going to escape me right now, I think it was Daniel Conway, I'm nearly sure it was Daniel Conway, who is a neonatologist, who gave evidence in the trial, explained, because some of the witnesses said that after Gosnell cut the spinal cords, they would still see movement. And he said, yes, you can do that. You could sever the spinal cord and the child is still alive. And the child dies an excruciatingly painful suffocation death. And it can take quite a bit of time, like minutes. Um, And I actually, I mean, to me, that's on top of horror, on top of horror. Um, and we know from the witnesses, because, for example, in the case of Baby Boyer, who was very central in this um, in this Gosnell case, we know that the witnesses saw the baby move after Gosnell had cut the spinal cord. And so there is something, you know, this is this is exactly why pro-abortion advocates do not want 
this story to be known. And it's why, as you say, you're still shocked that everyone doesn't know about it. Well, There's a reason why. There's yes. a reason why. And it's actually, it's not accidental. This is, a, this is intentional. This is an intentional cover-up of a thing that happened. This happened here. This happened in America. And I, I want to make another point that I think is incredibly important. So all of that that we've just talked about is beyond shocking, really disturbing, very, very um, horrific. However, what was very interesting at the Gosnell trial, and I think your listeners will really understand this, is that the jury found the description of what was legal, of what was legal in America, which of course needed to be explained to them so that they could know the difference between murder and what is legal in America. They were profoundly disturbed by what was legal. They, and, 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 and of course they were disturbed because nobody knows. People don't know. They don't know those things that you've just said. They don't know about digestion to the heart that's done in the same way that you would do it to an animal that you're putting down. You know, people don't know that. They don't know about dismemberment. They don't know about suction machines. You know, they don't know about this. And, and it's intentional on behalf of the abortion industry to keep all of this information uh, quiet. Yes. Because well, and once you hear this, once you know this, Right. You cannot unhear it. (laughs) You can't unhear it. I mean, and the thing is, when this case broke, you had pro-abortion apologists saying, all medical procedures are gruesome. You know, it's just that you don't understand the gruesomeness of bloodshed in medicine. There was that line. And then it's like when uh, David Daleiden broke the uh, trafficking in fetal remains. Uh, You just don't understand how, you know, fetal research works. And they would step up and apologize for it and try to defend it. And it's still happening. And you you have now... uh, one of the developments that I, I want to give you a chance to talk about is the Gosnell play, because yes. in New York, there's a play being produced called Oh God, a Comedy About Abortion. Is that the title? Something like That's that. That's correct. Something That's like correct. that. And it's been put on and it's been put on by J.J. Abrams, a bad robot. J.J. Abrams, one of the biggest names in Hollywood, one of the biggest producers in Hollywood. Massive, huge money, huge talent. This is what he's putting his huge money and his huge talent to. Him and Alison Levy who basically, these are, she's one of the people behind the Marvel Smith Mason series, which some of your listeners have possibly watched. I mean, these are huge names, and they have this comedy show that's running for six weeks, right up to June. Um, I've been to it. I went to it last week. Um, my husband's been to it as well. We went on separate, separate occasions. And again, it goes on for over an hour, and she tells all these stories about, apparently she's telling a story about her abortion. The one thing she doesn't tell, is the actual abortion. That's the one thing she doesn't tell. She tells loads of things about, like, what do you wear to an abortion? Ha, ha, ha. So funny. Um, and she talks about going to Planned Parenthood, how nice they were. And she talks about going to Planned Parenthood in New York. And they said, do you want to have an ultrasound? And she said, is that, is that extra, like, with fries? Like, that's the kind of joke she has. Mm. But what I think was interesting for all her, for her, for all her courage and bravery in doing this, she doesn't bother telling about the abortion. And I'm thinking, well, that's a bit of a weird thing, right? I, I kind of I started writing about this and thinking about this, and it's like, imagine imagine if somebody said, well, I'm I'm going to go to a comedy show about root canal, you know, about somebody having a root canal, you know, you'd imagine within that comedy routine they'd talk about the root canal, they describe it and their mouth being open or whatever, but they would describe the pain, that they describe exactly what the doctor did, you know, or the dentist did. You'd think that that would be part of it. I think you'd have that expectation. However, in this case, there is no description of abortion. There's no description of what happened to her. Um, 
she gets very loose about that. That's the one thing that she doesn't bother doing. Well, and and I, so we decided to respond to this. Yes. We said basically, and we're all in favour of free speech. We think they should totally have their abortion comedy. But if you can laugh about it, we can tell the truth about it. Mm. And so we have a play in New York with pieces of uh, extract from the actual trial of Kermit Gosnell with actors reenacting moments from the trial, including a moment where the legal abortion doctor is asked to describe what a legal abortion is. And Karen Seasling, and she does that on the stand, and we have an actress playing that role, being questioned and asked, how is it done? And it is extraordinary. Well, but but is is the play going forward? Because I understand that uh, theater you had booked uh, spiked it and wouldn't Correct. allow wouldn't allow the play to to go forward. Well, I can tell you at this moment, at this moment in time, what's happened is we first of all we lost our stage manager who walked out. Then the theater cancelled on us. We found another theater. Then two actors walked out twenty four hours before our opening preview night. So uh, we are still set to open um, tomorrow tomorrow night. Um, and, you know, let's see, or not tomorrow night, I should say Thursday night, we're, we're set to open. Um, and I, I, as, I, as I speak to you, the rehearsals are going ahead. We've found replacement actors. And let's see what happens. But, um, you know, this, this, the fact that we've had all of this opposition to our play, which is not written by us, it's, it's the, the actual words that were spoken in a trial um, is amazing, you know, and it, it kind of points, it tells you everything you need to know about people who are advocating for abortion. The last thing they want is that the truth would come out about what abortion is. That's yeah. the thing that they can't, they can't, they can't defend that. You know, That's what they can't defend. Right. They can defend women's choice. And by the way, I mean, I, I, I make a joke about this. I say, like, I'm all about choice. I love going to Costco, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, <laughs> words like choice sound great, right? But then, once, let, let's get into the description of what you're doing in this abortion. Now try and defend that. Try and defend the fact that, you know, that the fetus moves away from the needle. There are just, you know, we, have, we know this. We know these things. We know that even at 10 weeks, even as early as 10 weeks, there are, this is an identifiable human being. This is an identifiable human just like us with little fingers and toes, just like us with a heartbeat, with a heart. Uh, with a torso, with a head, you know, this is a, this is a person, this is a human being, and this is what's really hard. The clump of cells worked for so long, and back in the day, it was great to be able to say about the clump of cells. Well, they're still Those saying it. Those things are gone. They're still Those saying it. Those things are gone it. since the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. But they're still saying it. And and the reason they get away with it is because they are exploiting the ignorance and fear of young women who aren't, they're not keeping up on abortion politics <laughs> or fetology yeah. or embryology. They find themselves in a bind, and then the abortion business says, we can help you out of that. And I think something yeah. that's also important to note, Anne, is that in this abortion comedy, it's entirely possible that the person who wrote this uh, was sedated during her abortion and truly has no idea how horrific it was. Because that is becoming well, actually you're right, and she was, and she said that. Yes, said that's that becoming that's becoming the norm with uh, with surgical abortions. Fifty dollars yeah. extra? Would you like sedation? Absolutely. And then they have yeah. no idea. Uh, you know, back in the day, a woman would talk about you know the horrific sound of, of the vacuum aspiration uh, and other you know parts of the experience that are so gruesome that, you know, they are traumatized by the memory of it. But 
yeah, yeah. it has become something that is just, uh, you know, like they want us to believe, a tooth extraction. The other thing that yeah. I want to say is I was so struck by your story of covering this original trial. And, you know, there were pictures of the press section being empty. It wasn't only not yeah. covered. I mean, it was it was absolutely suppressed, in my opinion. And, um, yes. But going into this, you were not a pro-life crusader. You were not a person. One hundred percent. You you were not That's a right. you were not a person who really had a, a a strong opinion about abortion, yay or nay. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. In fact, I you know I I mean I obviously have thought a lot about this since. But being, the, the best way to describe me prior to this was what they call neutral in abortion. And now, of course, I understand that that is complete nonsense. There's no such thing as neutrality in abortion. If you call yourself neutral in abortion, you're pro-abortion. So that's who I was prior to this. And, I, and I, you know, I'm a big consumer of media, massive consumer of media. I read everything. I watch the TV. And, I, and I'm a very good example of how successful Planned Parenthood are uh, and how successful the abortion industry is, because I didn't know. I genuinely didn't know. And I know now, I know a lot now, um, and I want more people to know that. This is the job of a journalist. The job of a journalist is to just tell the story, tell, tell the story as it is. Uh, in all its horror, or in a, or or, or, in, or in its glory, if it if it's if it's that case, um, and I think, you know, to me, I, I was amazed. I was a grown woman who didn't know this, um, and I had done a thing, a successful thing in my head, where I'd always dismissed pro-lifers as, you know, religious zealots. So, you know, I I kind of done that in my head. I I've made that kind of, you know, which which is helpful, of course, you know, to as a way to dismiss people and say that they're not serious and that they've photoshopped, that the photographs that they have are photoshopped, that they've been, you know, manipulated. Uh, well, I can tell you I've seen all the photographs from Discovery and the Gosnell trial that are not nothing, that have nothing to do with the pro-life movement. The photographs, and I'm not talking about the photographs of the babies that were murdered. I'm not talking about those photographs. I'm talking about the photographs of the babies that were recovered from the clinic and who the doctors looked at and said they were all legal. And that those are the stories that are the, that are the powerful ones to me. That's the story of abortion in America, and it's unimpeachable. Those pictures of those children, it's unimpeachable. This is the evidence of what is real and what is legal and what is allowed in America, uh, right up to nine months. Um, and as I said, even at even at the earliest stages, you know, it, this is an incredibly brutal process, extraordinarily brutal. And as I said, I, you know, I was not that person, but I am. I am a changed, completely changed person as a result of this, and it's a haunting. It's a haunting knowledge. I mean, I know you obviously are, you know, you've been in this for such a long time um, and so many of your listeners have. But for people, I mean, it's one of the things that always struck me about, about President Trump, um, that he was a very obvious convert, if that makes sense to you. So basically, I think he was a person like me who didn't know. Then, you know, people, people like you, you know, got in touch, were able to get in touch with him through his campaign and stuff and expose him to the truth, tell him exactly what was going on, show him things. Um, and you and many other people did, did that kind of thing. And he suddenly was like, okay, I didn't know this. And then he was like disgusted. And he was very, you know, very, very strongly against abortion. And it was coming from a place of, in, of, in, of being informed, you know, and he hadn't been prior to that. So, you know, people have said before that he was probably, you know, pro-abortion. He, you know, he, he probably didn't have that many, much strong an opinion about it, but he had a very strong opinion once he understood it. Um, and well, a very strong opinion on it, and, and very raw. Yes, and I think, you know, that the suppression of the truth is the only way that it has kept going as long as it has. 
And that suppression not only includes failure to cover a really important story like Gosnell, but it also, uh, you know, uh, allowing the pro-abortion lobby to set the agenda and set the language and uh, also agreeing to their terms that you would never on television show, you know, or in uh, other media show what the aspects uh, or what the aftermath is of the thing that you're promoting. You know, this suppression is so widespread that it's a wonder any of us ever break through to know the truth. Yeah. So I applaud yeah. you. I applaud you on this play. And um, this pro- this is probably going to air in June. So we we will circle back and put an update on the yes. on the success of the play, so. which I'm hoping for yes. right now. Um, yes. Thank you so much. And we might have some other news between now and then sure. as well. So I'll keep in touch with you, Kim, on that. Well, and Anne, here's the thing. I mean, do you think that it's so interesting to me that the theater and the actors and the stage manager, I mean, did someone approach them? And were there, I mean, why did everyone, certainly they entered into this knowing what this was going to be. That's, yes, I mean, you, you, you know, you're, you're echoing what a lot of people are saying. How did this happen? I think what happens in these cases, and we've had this happen before, I think what happens is the person, you know, gets the job, reads the script, thinks, well, this is reasonable, you know, this is obviously very disturbing, all of that, but, you know, it's it's court case, and they they decide, yeah, I'm going to do this, they take the money, they do all of that. Then they go home and start talking to their peer group or their family group, and somebody gets to them and says, you can't be part of that. Do you understand what that could do? If this thing goes ahead, people will change their minds about abortion. And and then they're pressured by a peer group, by somebody Mm. in their life, Mm -hmm. to get out of it. I think that's what happens. Right. you know, the person kind of, you know, initially is like, well, listen, I don't see anything wrong with any any of this. I'm going to do this. This is very legitimate. This is court court testimony. There's nothing wrong with this. But right. somebody gets them afterwards. That's okay. my that's my understanding of what happens. And, and I'm, I'm just hoping we don't have any more of that before, yes. before the opening night. Yes, <laughs> we'll pray. And McElhenney's our Thank guest you. with about 20 seconds remaining. How can people find you and the work that you are doing? Yes, they can go to unreportedstorysociety.com. That's unreportedstorysociety.com. And please be, be part of what we're doing. I mean, this is, this is incredibly important. Um, we would love your help and we'd love you to be part of our database. We have a podcast we put out once a week and people can find out more. Thanks so much for being our guest on Cradle My Heart Radio. More at cradlemyheart.org. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola preventing abortion, and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.